Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today is my absolute favorite episode of the entire year. Although <laughs> our next episode might give it a run for its money. But th- this is our favorite books of 2020, Yay! which I just love doing this. Yeah. I love thinking about my favorite books. I love talking about them. So let's talk for a second, Anne. How do you feel like this was as a reading year for you? We've talked a little bit about this, I think. Yeah, a little bit. I read the news. <laughs> That's reading. That counts yeah. as reading. Yeah, it totally does. But I can't talk about it here because how do you say my favorite article was this right. Guardian article of July 14th or whatever. One of the things that was tricky this year for me is that we have a rule on this episode that you can't talk about a book that you've that's a reread. And so a lot of the books that I gave five stars to were rereads for me. So it did make it tricky when I was um, putting this list together because I maybe would say half of these are books that I absolutely love and would buy if I don't already own them. Mm -hmm. And the other half are just things that I liked, but I didn't have a ton of favorites this year. And so um, part of that's my own fault because I, I did this I, I talked about this in my goals that one of my um, my goals was to read to read complete um, works of several authors that I really love. And so most of the things that I read of theirs were rereads. And so those are all five star reads, but they're mm-hmm. they're not on this list. So right. it made it a little bit trickier for me to put mine together. But I would say on the whole, it wasn't the greatest reading gear for me other than those rereads. I, I mean, I'm guessing a lot of people feel similarly although i so that i've definitely heard that more that 2020 was a very difficult reading year for not it it was a difficult year as far as attention span goes for reading or like people were generally going towards their comfort reads like that sort of thing just having a hard time sinking into a book but then my guess is there are some people who read more especially at first during the pandemic because when we were locked down and same thing with jigsaw puzzles like suddenly everybody was doing jigsaw puzzles because they were home all the time my guess is there are people that maybe started reading more because they were home a lot or people who were escaping from reading the news or from whatever worries they had because of the state of the world by jumping into a book so it's it's interesting to me I wonder if if somebody were able to do some sort of like mass study, if, if there was people that are generally more avid readers regularly had a more difficult reading year, but then people yeah. who weren't big readers maybe had an easier reading year. I don't know. Be, it, yeah. I'd be curious to see. I feel like I had a pretty good uh, – so, okay. I feel like I read <laughs> a lot of books I really, really liked and loved. You know, the, I read some really good books. I had a very hard time narrowing this down to just 10 mm-hmm. uh, because they, I could have easily done – another 10 or 20 books probably in this episode and talked about oh wow oh Oh, you lucky thing (laughs) well just talking about I mean there were so many books that I really liked for various reasons and maybe 20 is you know I don't know that I have 30 books that I could have said were my favorites of the year but I just feel like there were a lot of really really good books that I read and I really enjoyed them but I did read fewer books than I usually read and Uh I do I did tend to want to read the books that were more fast-paced, more 
either, I, I mean, I've said this several times throughout the year as we've had different topics, but definitely romantic comedies were things I was gravitating towards because those felt very escapist to me. Thrillers right. were definitely something I was gravitating for because they were just, again, escapist reading. So I would say that I don't think I had maybe the difficulty that you're, you just, not difficulty, but you know, I don't think I had the same situation that you had, right. but I definitely yeah. read less. And I definitely, I'm definitely okay with the fact that I read less actually, yeah. you know, like there were times that I did other things and that was all right. I don't know. I just look back on the year and it was like, I'm, I've still read a ton of books. I still read way more than I used to read many years ago. And I still feel like I got a really good selection of books under my belt that I got to read and experience. Part of it, too, is because of the committee that I'm on, I read mm -hmm. so many current books. Right. So at the end of the year, when best of lists are coming out, people are talking about their favorite books of the year. I feel pretty in the know. We were joking yeah, at yeah. work the other day that you never feel more in the know than when you look at the Goodreads favorites of the year list and you're on an awards committee because you have read those are the books that of course people are talking about and people are reading so those are the books we're considering and so right. you just have I've just either read so many of them or at least have considered reading so many of them part of it too is just I'm I'm not I don't have that sense of like oh I missed out on so many books because right. there there nobody's talking about the the other books that didn't come out in 2020 that maybe I missed out on in previous years so I think that's kind of a weird caveat to the reading year for me right. is that I do feel like I there are there are a handful of more literary books that I didn't read because they don't they don't fall into the category of what I read for the awards committee that I'm hoping to get to either in 2021 or 2022 other than that like the I feel like most of the big titles that I that are popping up on best of list I I did have a chance to read so um so it's kind of like it was actually a pretty good reading year for me from a perspective of I read a lot of stuff I really liked Mm -hmm. so. And and I feel like I read, I mean, I'm definitely behind on my Goodreads goal mm -hmm. um, pretty significantly, actually. Um, so after after Christmas, I might be reading all the shortest books on mm -hmm. my on my uh, shelf. <laughs> um, but I just I felt like. I don't know, maybe maybe it's because I I read I don't I don't mean this in a negative way, mm -hmm. but I I read a lot of romance this year mm -hmm. for some reason. And and it was really funny. At one point, I looked at my stats and I had just as many romances as I had mysteries. And it super <laughs> freaked me out. And I thought, this is not the way the world should be. Um, but but I just don't generally find those as satisfying. Yeah. You know, in, a, in a way that that at the end of the year, I think, oh, that was a favorite for me. Although I do have a romance on here, I, I will say. But it just... It, when I'm when I came to the end of the year and I had to pick my my books, I was like, okay, here's my five favorites, mm -hmm. and now what? <laughs> so, um, and and the things I'm I'm going to talk about are not things that I I disliked, and I'm trying to shoehorn them in by mm -hmm. any means. But but normally I have a list of fifteen to twenty mm -hmm. books that I gave five stars to mm -hmm. that I have to whittle down, and mm -hmm. and in this case it was about five that I gave um, five stars to, and then everything else was. I I th thought about that book a lot. So that was kind of my criteria for for everything else mm -hmm. is what have I either recommended the most mm -hmm. or talked about or even has just stuck with me a little bit more than anything else. Mm -hmm. So so some of these are things I probably gave 3 stars to, but I at the end of the year I'm still thinking about them, so that that has to mean something. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, why don't we just jump into it then and share okay. our top 10 books? Before we start, are yours in order? Uh, my first two, eh, no, I wouldn't say so. I don't generally do that just because I don't plan ahead that much. <laughs> but um, I would say the first three are my top. Eh, you'll probably be able to tell by the way I talk about okay. them. Okay, all right, no, that's what, fine. I what I love curious. the most versus what I what I was like, I just liked this. Yes, so okay. I did also, I did. I think I did have them in or, in a, more of an order and then I flipped them, some things around just for not bunching my genres together. Oh, so. okay. All right. Well, I did the opposite. I did sort of a grouping at the top that were all like books I really, really liked, but then yeah. my end books will be my favorites. Ooh, a countdown. My I love favorite countdown. favorites. Yes, right. So there, it's not like ranked as far as this is my 10th book this is my ninth book but the top two three four maybe are like top 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 so okay i'm gonna pretend we're on vh1 though is that okay of course coming in at number 10 is (laughs) go ahead (laughs) okay so number one and i would say my favorite uh, book that I read that was a first read this year was Life After Life by Kate <gasps> Atkinson, which is great because oh, so you <laughs> assigned this to me. <laughs> oh, I love this book so much. I loved it so much. Oh, it's so satisfying. So it's about a woman named Ursula Todd who is born on a snowy night in 1910 outside of London, and she dies immediately because the umbil- umbilical cord is wrapped around her neck and the doctor can't get there in time because of the snow. And so then in the next chapter, she's born again, and this time the doctor is able to save her, but then she dies a few years later when she's uh, when she drowns in the ocean. And so she, at the beginning of each chapter, is reborn, and in every circumstance will alter things just a little bit to be able to survive that that life. And as the book goes on, she remembers her lives to some degree, um, at least to be able to recognize that she needs to do something differently. It, it generally isn't something where she can really articulate her memories. It's just sort of a, a sense of deja vu. These repeated lives will ultimately um, work together in kind of just forming some decisive actions that occur during World War II and include a plot to to kill Hitler. And so the book kind of feels like it's a thriller on the surface, but then it's ultimately much more personal and intimate than you sort of expect from from the description. So as soon as I finished this, I wanted to start over because you want to see the way all of the the different threads have woven together to come to this conclusion and you want to see the the underside after you finish the book because it's just so perfectly done and it's it's kind of impossible to not feel like you're just in a cycle of reading this book over and over and over um if you really love it so um so i'm super glad you finally got me to read it because i've owned it for years and it was fabulous and that is life after life by kate atkinson that makes me so happy. Yay. Me so well, my first one is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. And I have talked about this before. I believe uh, maybe it was our episode about books by Black authors. I'm not sure exactly which episode, but I have I talked about it right. before. Yeah. Uh, it came out at the very, very end of 2019. I think it was December 30th or 31st as a publication date. So for all intents and purposes, this is a book that came out in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I read it early on in the year. And it is a story about a white woman who is the mother of two little girls. And she has recently moved out of New York City to, I believe, the suburbs of Philadelphia. 
And she hires a young woman who's in her 20s who is black, and her name is Amira, to watch her older daughter mainly. Not, not the, She has a younger daughter who's a baby, and Amira – or excuse me, and Briar is the daughter, and she is, I think, two or three. She's young. And so all of Amira's friends are getting into their careers and becoming successful – becoming independent, really. And Amira feels a little bit stuck. She is still on her parents' insurance, but the clock is ticking because she's about to turn 26, at which time she will be off of her parents' insurance. And she feels also a little bit embarrassed that she's a babysitter, a part-time babysitter for this family. She's not a nanny. She doesn't have any of the benefits that come come with that. But she also really, really loves the little girl that she babysits for and is kind of content, but feels like she shouldn't be content, if that makes sense. So it's like outside pressure that she's putting on herself to move on or move on to bigger things. But at the start of the book, one night, Alix, who is the main character, who's the mother, calls Amira in a panic and asks her to come get Briar and take her somewhere out of the house. And it's because they had some sort of incident at their home where the police need to be called to come out to the house. And what you learn is that somebody basically threw a rock through their window but uh, Alix doesn't want Briar to witness the police being there. So Amira has been out with her friends at a club and says, yes, I'll come. And it's probably 10 o'clock at night or something. She says, yes, I'll come and take her. And so she she takes Briar to the local grocery store because Briar is completely entranced by being able to go into the nut aisle where they have the different <laughs> bins of nuts. And just she's just entertaining for her. And it's an easy place to take her at 10 o'clock at night. And while she is there, somebody sees Amira with this little girl and makes assumptions about the fact that Amira is dressed in a way that she was in a club and then now is and, – and she is black and she's with this little girl who is white. And so this woman makes assumptions and goes and finds a security guard because she suspects that maybe Amira has kidnapped this little girl. So everything spirals from there. I've already talked more about the book on that previous episode, but it's all about – how Alix decides she wants to befriend Amira, basically. And there's this weird power dynamic because, of course, they're not going to be friends because Amira is their employee. Um, but there's a lot here about race and microaggressions and these sort of well-intentioned people that um, are really actually pretty terrible and they're really <laughs> very... Um, hurtful and they do these awful things and it's really just a very good story I mean there's a lot to it would be such a good book club book if you haven't read this or if, if you have a book club that's meeting virtually right now um, it would be such a good book club book because I think there's so much to talk about and I think that there's a lot to talk about in a way that it's a very engaging book to read it just pulled you pulls you in right away but there's just so much there to talk about so uh and I actually also listened to the audiobook later in the year and that's really great too so if you like audiobooks I would recommend that and it is such a fun age by Kylie Reed has there is there a movie coming out of that or has uh, it been I'm not sure I wouldn't be surprised it's very cinematic as far as, far as story seems. goes yeah I'll look it up while you're talking about your next one Okay, my next book is Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Oh, another good this, 
yeah, this is almost my favorite. Um, I would probably say it's the most enjoyable read for me this year. And it's about a young woman named Alex Stern, who is a freshman in Yale, but she is a high school dropout and a former drug addict. And she's half Jewish and half Latina. So she is not by any means the typical uh, waspy Yale student that, that you would expect. And she is also the only survivor of a multiple homicide. And so when she's in the hospital after this incident, there's a man that visits her from Yale who offers her an incredible deal, which is to attend Yale for free if she will become a member of his secret society called Lethe, which acts as a watchdog for the other eight secret societies on campus. And these societies are real in in our world. Um, But in this book, each one has a magical specialty that gives them the power that that we know them to have. So... um, Alex is mentored by a a senior student named Daniel Arlington, but uh, he disappears just as Alex Alex is um, tasked to look into the death of a townie woman who has a possible tie to the secret societies. And so I read this, I, I guess it was this summer. So it didn't, it didn't, I didn't get the the pure enjoyment of having a perfect fall read, (laughs) but it would have been the perfect fall read because it's my three favorite things that happen at the same time, which is fall academia and ghosts. And it, uh, it took me a while to read because I wanted to spread it out as long as I I could. And I, I don't typically do that with books, but this was just pure enjoyment for me. So that is ninth house by Lee Bardugo. Another great one. Yeah. So if such a fun age has been optioned by Lena Waith. Oh, okay. Uh, but it is unknown at this point whether it will be a TV or a movie or where it will show up or anything like that. Cool. So, all right. My next one is The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And I think I mentioned this one, but I don't think I've actually talked in depth about this. So it starts in the early 1700s, and uh, it's about this woman named Adeline and she is stuck in a very small village and she is promised to marry a man she's promised to a man that she's supposed to marry but she does not want to she longs to go on adventures and so one night she runs out into the woods and begs not to belong to anybody I think is the way she says it and suddenly (laughs) there is this creature there who offers to give her that, to give her this opportunity to not belong to anybody, to escape marrying this man. But in order to do that, when she decides that she doesn't want to live anymore, she has to surrender her soul to him. So obviously this is the devil and she's making a deal with him, which she basically happily takes. And she's very willing to do this because she thinks a a life in which she doesn't belong to anybody is the ideal life. She's never going to want to stop living that life. And so what she doesn't know is that the deal that is struck is that she is now immortal and everybody in her life will forget her as soon as they can't see her anymore. So if somebody walks into a room and they see her it's they it's like a stranger and then as soon as they leave the room they've forgotten her so if they just turn around and come right back in three seconds later she would be a stranger again so it's a very lonely isolated life as you would imagine because um no she can't form any ties but she copes and she survives and she even kind of uses it to her advantage she discovers that there are ways that not being able to be remembered can help her because she can 
take things and nobody remembers and she can do things that nobody will ever come after her for. And then one day she is in a bookstore and she steals a book. And then she comes back into the store a day or two later and the guy behind the counter looks at her and and says to her like, what are you doing? You stole a book. I know you stole a book. And she thinks, what in the world? Because how is he possibly remembering me? Nobody ever remembers me. That's part of the deal. And of course, she's intrigued because she wants to know why he can remember her. And he has a bit of a secret of his own. And so they start... They form a relationship because of this. And I loved this book so, so much. I mean, obviously, it's making it to my list of top 10 favorites. But it pulled me into this world. It actually reminded me a little bit of The Night Circus, which, you know, is high praise from me because I love The Night Circus so much. And it's not really that the stories are the same. But, I mean, there is an element of, uh, like, the central couple magical forces are kind of keeping them apart. But it's just about being immersed in the world. Like, you just believe it. You just believe that these two people, I won't I won't spoil what the secret is for the guy, but you believe that Addie is in this situation where people forget her as soon as they can't see her anymore. Um, and, and it's just this wonderful love story. And I just, I thought it was magical, honestly. Like, I just loved it. I thought it was... Um, a really, really special book. So that is The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. That's really high on my list too. But as you know, that means nothing in terms of when I actually get to it. But it sounds so fantastic. I'll be curious to see if you like it since you didn't like A Darker Shade of Magic that much. Yeah, I mean, that was a middling book for me. So yeah. so I'm sure I'll enjoy it fine. I just yeah. don't, I, I expected that to be a favorite and it yeah. wasn't. So yeah, yeah we'll see. So next is Circe by Madeline Miller, and this is a bestseller that I'm getting to way after the fact, which is my want, and it is not at all overrated. It was so good. I loved it so much. Um, so Circe, if you know your your um, Greek mythology, is best known from the Odyssey, and she is a witch who enchants Odysseus to stay with her on her island for years, and um, she's super famous for turning all of his his sailors into swine and so as we've talked about before one of my favorite um literary devices is to flesh out a a character that's either a smaller character or a side character or just a uh um a bit of a hidden figure kind of character and so this this does that so um in this book Circe is born to the sun god Helios and he is one of the ancient titans who ruled before the Olympians but he but she is different than the rest of the family and the other deities and she isn't beautiful and she's not powerful and those are the two qualities that are most loved by the gods and so she instead identifies with the frailties of humans and she's really fascinated by them and um even though she doesn't have really anything to recommend her to the gods, she discovers that she has a talent for witchcraft and this enrages Helios because she uses it to meddle with um, the lives of the people around her um, after she falls in love with a human fisherman. So as a result of of her actions and, and some other things that happen, she's banished to a remote island to live alone, but she isn't lonely because she's able to, to develop her skills and she makes the island blossom and she raises animals and eventually she becomes a destination for various mythological figures um, to find help that we know about from other myths like Medea and Icarus and then eventually Odysseus. So eventually her banishment, instead of being the um 
it's a punishment to her, but the gods use it at their whim at to to benefit them at different times. And so at a certain point, the banishment becomes dangerous to both the Titans and the Olympians, and she has to protect herself and fight for the life that she's built there on this island. And this is this book is just so beautifully written, and it perfectly married character development with an evocative setting and and this Greek mythological world. And it was inspiring and heartbreaking all at once. And it really is looking at, at female power and vulnerability and what core things make us human. And this was definitely one that I'll be buying in the near future because I want to read it over and over again. It was it was just gorgeous. And that is Circe by Madeline Miller. Yeah, I read that one a, two or three years ago whenever it came out. It was yeah. good. It was really good. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I'm- my next one is Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. And I read a lot of really good romances this year, but this one absolutely stands out to me from the rest of the pack. And um, when I thought back about my reading year, I just thought I I just have to talk about this one. I mean, it's just, it's a really, it's a really special romance, I think. It's about a woman who writes fan fiction for her favorite show, which is kind of a Game of Thrones not knockoff, but it, it's the in the novel. It's like a, a version of Game of Thrones, yeah. and she's pretty popular in the fan fiction world. And she has a friend. She has this group of friends that she's made online, and they um, give feedback and stuff and critique each other's writing. And there's one person in particular who she confides in quite a bit. They've really struck up a friendship, and but they've never met in real life. And then one day, a photo of her dressed up in a costume as a character from uh, this show, this Game of Thrones type show, um, goes viral. And people, of course, get super nasty about it because that's just what people do on the internet sometimes. And uh, she's more full-figured, so a lot of people are making comments on her body and um, that she shouldn't be dressing like this character and all these different things. And so an actor from the show sees this and gets on Twitter and says that she's absolutely beautiful and that he would take her out on a date if he could and or or something like that so then somebody comes back at him and says well if you think she's so beautiful would you go out with her or something he said absolutely and so he asks her out on twitter and she says yes because why not and um (laughs) but what no one knows is that he secretly also writes fan fiction because he is not particularly happy with where they've taken his character on the show and so fan fiction is his way of rewriting that literally um and he also acts kind of like an idiot when he's in public because that way he can avoid being asked questions by anyone about his opinion so if he's being interviewed Everybody just talks to asks him about his workout regimen and stuff. They don't ask him about plot points. They don't ask him about any sort of like deeper analysis of the show. They just keep it very superficial. So when they go out, uh, Marcus is the guy. He uh, he tries to keep up that facade of being kind of just this not jock, but just kind of like a lughead. Like he's just not a very yeah. smart guy. And uh, but. But April is the woman, and she keeps asking him questions and stuff. And so at times he sort of gets – he lets the facade drop because he gets invested in whatever they're talking about. So April gets this little glimpse of what he's really like, and so she's kind of intrigued, and she's kind of like, I would kind of like to see you again. And so they do go out again, and then – but Marcus very quickly realizes that they know each other from being online because he is her friend in this feedback group. And – he knows that, but he can't, feels like he can't reveal that to her because they're like 
reasons I won't get into right now. So there's this huge secret between them. And one of the things that makes this book stand out to me is that the reveal of that, because you know it's going to be revealed at some point that he is her online friend and he hasn't told her. And I felt like the reveal of that really plays out in a way that felt like it would in real life. Like it wasn't just brushed off. It wasn't just a page later like, oh, everything's fine now. I forgive you. You know, there were there were real hurt feelings that that come from that and then they have to work through that so uh, I thought the way the romance plays out was just really wonderful and I actually cried at the end of reading this which is extremely oh my rare gosh. For, I know it's extremely rare for me like happy happy tears you know like touching yeah tears um, but it's really rare in a romance novel like I actually agree with what you said at the beginning about when you looked back at romance there was it's not often that you're going to find one that you think, oh, my gosh, that was just my favorite book of the year. Because that's that's not really why I read romance for, like, the, right. the I don't know, the emotional heft or anything like that. There's a, I read it for a different reason. But for that's why this book stands out to me is because it did have – I, I was emotionally invested in it in a way that I'm not often with romances. Um, anyway, so that's Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. That's very interesting because I have another – one of my books is because I cried at the end. That's and so I had to include it. So um, so we'll get to that eventually. All right. Well, what's your next one? Um, up next is A Deadly Inside Scoop by oh, Abby Collette. <laughs> this is not the greatest book that's ever been written. I will fully admit that. But it still just makes me so happy that it mm-hmm. exists in the world yeah. because it's a diverse cozy from a major publisher. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely diverse cozies out there, but not – a lot for major publishers. So mm-hmm. um, there's some exceptions to that, but it just made me really happy to to find this. So it's about a woman named Bronwyn Cruz and she's nicknamed Wynn and she lives in the quaint town of Chagrin Falls, Ohio, which um, is real. And yes. she has an MBA and lived in New York, but she has recently returned home for, for several reasons and um, mainly to be closer to her family. And they make up almost the entire Black population of Chagrin Falls. So she is picked by her grandfather to restore the family ice cream parlor to the it, its former vision of glory when uh, he and his wife first opened it in the 1960s. So she's been working all year to make this into a magical place while still um, making it modern and honoring the history of, of this, um, this shop that means a lot to her and to her family. But because of delays, it doesn't open in the summer, which would be the perfect time for um, an ice cream parlor to be opening. (laughs) Instead, it opens in fall, and it's actually the first snowfall of the year is is the the opening day. So the only man that she encounters, I, I don't think he's actually a customer. I think he just... She just runs into him. I think they're um, walking outside or something. Yeah, I don't think he yet. comes into the shop. But he um, he says he's a family friend. And she finds out that he, in fact, took advantage of the family when her grandmother's health was failing and tried to swindle her grandmother out of the, the business. So she has a really bad first day. And Wynn is upset. And she can't sleep. And she decides she's going to go to the shop and work on some new, new ideas that um, – like kind of reevaluating her vision for for how this is going to play out. So one of the the family recipes is for snow ice cream. So she goes down to the falls to get untouched snow and she finds the a body and it's later to be revealed that this is the stranger from that morning. So I just really enjoyed being in this world. Mm-hmm. I really liked the Cruz family. I thought they were exceptionally well depicted. Mm-hmm. Um 
and realistic for a cozy. And I've thought about it a lot since I've read it. So that's why I'm including it here. Also, today, I just sent my sister a text because I'm going up to the Cleveland area for Christmas um, because we've all been quarantining. No one get freaked out by that. Um, and we're going to do like a Chagrin Falls day. Oh, fun. So because I, I think it'll be Christmassy. And so I think yeah. we could go walk around. So my plan is for us to reenact that scene and I'm going to play the body. That's perfect. And she's going to, to find me. That. I will. <laughs> yeah. So I... I'm super excited thought this book was a lot of fun and I agree just the fact that it exists makes it or it elevates it somehow and that's not to say it's a bad book but you know me and cozy mysteries I'm always just right. sort of like what's the point and <laughs> oh man you've never been so blunt about it <laughs> no not what's the point but just what like I don't I don't know. They seem silly to me sometimes, which I... They totally I, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which We're on the same page I, with isn't it. isn't to say I don't... I don't know. Like, occasionally enjoy them, but they're not my go-to thing the right. way they are for you or for so many... I know so many people who like those right. mysteries. But I thought this was really charming, and I thought it was something different, and I... Yes, I absolutely enjoyed it. And I think that I'm excited to read the second one. I, in fact, yeah. I have it on my Kindle and uh, someday I'll get to read it. But um, I just thought it was a, it was, it was really fun. I liked all the, I love ice cream. So I loved all the descriptions of the ice cream recipes right. that she makes and tries out. And I don't know, it was just such a fun one. I liked it. Yeah. And all the, the family history that was yeah. part of it, plus her trying to modernize things was really, yeah. it was just really intriguing to, to yeah. see how you would take a, a family business and mm. set it in the modern world yep. and and revamp it and yeah. so I'm really excited for for it's called Game of Cones I think that's yeah the, name yep. of the second one so yeah I'm excited for it yeah. so um yeah so I've I've recommended this many many times to people which I yeah. don't generally do with a lot of cozies so that is a deadly inside scoop by Abby Colette yeah my next one is A Good Marriage by Kimberly McCrate. And so as I said at the beginning, I was very much craving thrillers this year. And this one, this one really was great. I thought like just legitimately, it wasn't just a great distraction. It was like a legitimately really good thriller, which is kind of hard to do these days because I feel like there are so many thrillers that are released all the time that it's a little bit hard to stand out from the rest of the pack. But it's about an attorney who is asked by a college friend to defend him because he has been accused of murdering his wife. And Lizzie is is the attorney. She I believe used to be a public defender uh, who has recently taken a job at a white collar law firm because her husband is an alcoholic and he has gotten them into some financial difficulties. So she has stepped up into this role that she doesn't really want and she's feeling her way through it and she has some feelings, (laughs) negative feelings against her husband right now because they're in this position. But anyway, she can't her 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 law firm basically won't let her turn down this this opportunity to defend this man because he is very very wealthy and i believe he's like a tech guy you know and so everybody knows who he is and it's a very notorious case and so they'll get a lot of attention for it so I, she basically has to take it and she starts investigating them this murder because 
or not investigating, I guess, when you're the attorney. But, you know, she's looking into it and trying to come up with his defense. And she keeps interviewing him to figure out what's going on. And she discovers that the neighborhood where he lives is basically just full of rich married people who have a million secrets from each other. Um, <laughs> and it reminded me in that way a lot of Big Little Lies because mm-hmm. it's this really fun peek into this world that I will just never be a part of and behind this beautiful facade of perfection is just all these simmering secrets and um everyone also seems just slightly terrible uh, and it's really fun to read about terrible people and there are yes. lots of pardon i just said yes yes and it's <laughs> lots of twists and turns and surprises that's one of the things i think i what when i say it's hard to stand out from the pack is that i feel like so many thrillers now because we, those of us who like thrillers read so many of them that it can become a little bit predictable in who who the culprit is or who the unreliable narrator, you know, you know it's an unreliable narrator. But to me, this one had lots and lots of surprises. And I've recommended it to a lot of different people, actually. And it's been a hit with a, with a wide variety of people. So to me, that's a sign of a, a pretty good book. So that is A Good Marriage by Kimberly McCrate. That does sound awesome. And you're so right that that they're just so I, I do think thrillers are starting to die down a little bit, mm-hmm. but I compared to where the, it was five years ago, but mm-hmm. but it's definitely hard when you're expecting and everyone knows the the things to look for now yeah, to have right. something that stands out. So yeah. that sounds really awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, next is Unmarriageable by Sonia Kamal. And I've talked about this one before. It's Pride and Prejudice set in Pakistan. And in this version, Alice Binat is an English teacher at a girls' school. And she uh, is trying to help her students understand that there's more to life than marriage. She's she's not at all marriage-focused in the way that uh, the rest of her family and the rest of society is. So her family has fallen from their high social status and they have very little chance of making prosperous marriages now. But at a family wedding, Alice meets a man named Valentine Darcy and he is rude and arrogant and they instantly dislike each other. And of course they're thrown together throughout the whole um, wedding week and they actually have a lot in common once they have to talk to each other but they can't get past those initial judgments of each other um, for now. I believe things will change. (laughs) So um, this is one of the most believable updates of Pride and Prejudice Mm -hmm. I've ever read because Pakistani culture fits Regency England in many ways that make sense in the modern world. And I I know that you've read a lot of um, Pride and Prejudice Mm -hmm. updates and I've read a lot of them and they very often don't work because the whole uh, central problem of unmarriageable daughters just doesn't exist now Mm -hmm. so it's very tricky to make that believable but this Mm -hmm. one really does without a lot of effort and Mm -hmm. um the author really does a great job of including all the the characters that you expect so she isn't sort of fudging her way through it she she every character from the book is in in uh from the original is in this book and Mm -hmm. so it's just very faithful and and really fun to find those those plot points and to see how she's changed them for for this world. And um, I've been to many virtual Jane Austen events this this year, um, mm-hmm. almost to the point where I'm sick of them because I have signed up for so many and they were all great. But I'm I'm a little uh, virtual conferenced out at this point. But she spoke at many of them, and I'm not exactly sure because uh, this didn't come out this year. I think it was last year, and I, so I'm not really sure why this was such a big. Uh, um, or why she was she was booked so many times, but I'm really glad she did or she was because it was 
fascinating every single time to listen to her and she had different things to say about her ties to the book and um how her her personal um uh history with it has is really emotional for her and and the ways that colonialism has worked in her life and and it just has has been really a rich kind of year getting to know this book through different means so that is unmarriageable by sonia kamal yeah i like that one a lot i think we've talked before about i read a few of these updates where that that premise that they the arranged marriage or they have to have to get married for whatever reason actually work based on cultural or religious traditions that people have um and there were there were a whole bunch that came out in 2019 so i agree i liked this one a lot all right my next one is the other americans by Layla leilami and i read this book back in january which at this point feels like a million years ago (laughs) i was living in a different house at the time we could go places and see people it just is hard to put myself back in where i was uh but this is a mystery but more of what i would consider a literary mystery so i think if you are a fan of mysteries but you like character driven mysteries you would enjoy it i think that if it's you're more interested in the details of the investigation and stuff, this might not be for you. Uh, But it is um, about a man who is killed in a hit-and-run accident, and his daughter returns home partially to try to figure out what happened, but also just because, I mean, her father passed away, so you come home and, and deal with that. And she has a very strained relationship with her mother and her sister, but she adored her dad, and she wants to understand if what happened was really an accident or had something to do with the fact that he is Moroccan. And she thinks that it might have something to do with, uh, like, a hate crime. And it's it's narrated by nine different people, uh, which oh, sounds wow. like a lot, but it, it somehow just isn't difficult to everybody's very distinctive so um it's not difficult to follow in any way and you get the perspective of the detective who's looking into the case and there's a man named jeremy actually uh who (laughs) knew uh nora the main character in high school and he was an iraq war veteran so he has his own issues that he's dealing with but he's also trying to help nora um and it's it's kind of a spare book i would say um but it really shows how complex and complicated people are and their relationships to each other. And everyone has a sense of being an outsider for different reasons, all of the characters. Um, and so I think, to me, part of the reason that I'm including this on the list is not just because it was one of my favorites of the year, but I immediately finished this and went online to find out what else this author had written because I wanted to make sure to mark them on Goodreads to read because I knew I wouldn't be able to read them at that point, but I wanted to make sure to come back to this author because I just was so engrossed in this book and I thought that she just did character development so well that I thought I need to read whatever else she's written. So that is The Other Americans by Layla Lalami. That sounds so good. You're making my list longer. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) See, this is great because I think I've read every single book you've talked about so far. So I'm like, yeah, that was a good one. This is the the benefit of me reading everything after the fact. I've read so so few. Uh, I guess my next book is something that's current to this year. And, and there's a few more that are current to this year. But so much of the time I read things after the fact, which I don't know why that's the case. I never intend to be a, a post-publication reader. But 
Oh, well. Um, so next is Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth. And um, you just talked about this book, so yep. uh, I don't need to go too much into it. But um, And it's hard to describe because yep. it's a very meta book. And there are yep. several storylines that are in different eras, and they all link to each other. So very briefly, it's about... Um, it begins in 1902 at a New England girls school called Brook Hunts, where two girls are in love and they're obsessed with a real, in our world, um, scandalous best-selling memoir by a woman named Mary McLean. And they establish a, front, a fan club called the Plain Bad, yeah, Plain Bad Heroine Society <laughs> and meet in an apple orchard where they are later found um, dead and there's a copy of the book between them. So there are more deaths that lead to this to the closure of the school and it's considered cursed. So a hundred years later, a young writer named Merritt Edmonds um, writes a hit book about the queer history of the school and inspires a horror movie to be to be filmed there that features um, a it girl actress named Harper and a former child actress named Audrey. And when the three of them arrive on set to film, the lines between reality and Hollywood and past and present begin to blur. And there's so much more that happens in this book. And there's an entire other storyline that I'm leaving out because how do you even include more than that? Um, but the book is very aware of itself and it's always giving commentary on the story and on the world it's depicting. And um, whether you're at the girls' school or in Hollywood, you get this this fantastic sense of atmosphere and dread. And I'm always a sucker for books that are about sort of um, behind the scenes of of hollywood and how mm. the sausage gets made I, I just can never get enough of that so um this one has a ton of it because yes. there are lots of ways that this movie is being made that the participants don't understand themselves mm -hmm. so you just get all kinds of of cool details about that so um i i wouldn't say this was a favorite book of all time but it has really stuck with me since I read it this fall and um, I read it on my reading vacation. So I just have really happy memories attached mm -hmm. to it. So um, it's, it's, I think a, a horror movie or horror movie, a horror book that will last for a long time yeah. in, in our uh, conscious. So that is plain bad heroines by Emily M. Danforth. Okay. So my next one, now we are getting into, I think I'm at five to go four or five. Yes. I, five to go. So these are truly, I, these are kind of ranked as like my top, Five, just okay. for your sake. So the next one is The Midnight <laughs> Library by Matt Haig. And this was kind of a late-breaking addition to my list because I just read it about a month ago. And oh, how I loved this book. It came as such a surprise. I basically picked it up because it had library in the title. I didn't know anything else about it. Um, and it is just so much in my wheelhouse it is a, a so it's actually cataloged in novelist as science fiction i don't think it's science fiction it is more like relationship fiction it is about this woman nora who feels like she doesn't really have much to live for her life didn't turn out the way she planned she um, had some opportunities to take different paths in life that she didn't take and and now she's ended up in a place she's just left her she told her fiance she doesn't want to get married. And so she feels very much alone. She feels kind of like she's a failure in every aspect of her life. And one night uh, she gets to a point where she decides to try to die by suicide. Uh, but she ends up in kind of an in-between place that is this midnight library that's staffed by her favorite childhood librarian. And the librarian tells her that all of these books on the shelf, and it's like infinite, vast shel set of shelves, um, are all the the 
place like there are all versions of her life that are places where she had made a different decision that's the path her life would have taken and it's everything from huge decisions to teeny tiny decisions you know I'm going to go into that coffee shop and get a cup of coffee or I'm not going to go get into that coffee shop like it just or I'm going one of her things is she could have been a professional swimmer basically she was a really good swimmer and so she has regrets about should I have pursued that should I have become a professional swimmer so from big to small this whole library gives her the opportunity to explore them and what what she can do is she can pull these books off the shelf and go into these lives and see what they would be like and they all stem from these different decisions and and once she finds one that's a good fit she could stay there and that will be her new life forever and Nora's like great let's do this let's go let's change my life let's go back and see these things that I've regretted and and mold over for years that I should have done something different let's see how my life would have turned out and as she starts trying on all these different lives she realizes that nothing feels like quite the right fit she's going life after life after life thinking why is why is nothing feeling right so it's one of the things she realizes is that no life is perfect because everything comes along, every choice that she makes comes along with maybe is losing some other part of her life that as as she knew it. So it's such a good story, I thought, about making the most out of the life you have or making the life that you have with the circumstances you have into the life that you want. Uh, there's a kind of a, a – there's a phrase that's – called bloom where you're planted which I think is just sort of like the moral of this book it's like you you make your life into what you want it to be and I just loved it and it's again it's very much my kind of thing it's kind of, it's a ultimately heartwarming story and I like this idea these sort of sliding it's like life after life that you talked about earlier yeah. I like this idea of um, the path not taken and so that's exactly what this book is it is the midnight library by Matt Haig I think he's a really interesting writer because mm-hmm. he's he just does a lot of different stuff and didn't did he write reasons to stay alive? Am I uh, possibly? I don't know. I feel like he did. If I'm wrong, take this all out. But <laughs> but basically, like talking about his own struggles with mental illness yes. and yes. and he... like he's very aware of that and puts that into his books, and I think that's really cool. So up next is How the Light Gets In by Louise Penny and. I've talked about the series many times on the podcast, and so I normally wouldn't include something that is already known and loved from me, but this is possibly the best book in the series, <laughs> and it ties up several long-running arcs, and I sobbed at the end of this book, and so I had to include it because I hardly ever have such emotional reactions mm-hmm. to books, and so it just seemed every time I would think, well, I should switch something else in for that one, because everyone knows I love Louise penny i I just couldn't do it because of of how much i cried at this book so Mm -hmm. um so there's a a long arc that's gone over several books that started with this botched raid that happened Mm -hmm. um several years prior and um so besides that story chief inspector gamache is brought to three pines to help the bookstore owner myrna locate a missing friend who was due to arrive at christmas and uh Myrna, for some reason, is reluctant to tell Gamash her friend's name, which, of course, would hinder his ability to investigate. Mm -hmm. But when he finds out who she is, it makes sense because he realizes that she's a member of a world-famous family who ultimately had their lives destroyed through their notoriety. Mm -hmm. So it 
combines as as she's been doing really well in in all of her books but but especially the longer the series goes on it it combines the standalone mystery with a bigger conspiracy plot and the trademark penny philosophizing on humanity and kindness and it really shows how our broken pieces are what make us beautiful and i just cried like a little baby reading this book so i have to include it on on this list so yet another a five-star read for Louise Penny from me. So that is how the light gets in. She's so good. She's so good. How does she do it? (laughs) Don't know. My next one is Long Bright River by Liz Moore. And this is a lot like the other Americans that I talked about because this is a literary mystery, almost a thriller a little bit, but not a thriller in like a fast-paced, full-of-adrenaline thriller, just in like a simmering tension throughout the whole book thriller. Um, It is about two sisters who were really close as children but have become estranged as adults. And one of the sisters is Casey. She is uh, a prostitute who has battled drug addiction for years. And then her sister is Mickey, who is a police officer in Philadelphia. And Mickey kind of keeps tabs on Casey, even though they're estranged. And Casey has gone missing, or, or at least for... In Mickey's uh, experience, you know, she she might be somewhere, but Mickey can't track her down. Uh, and one day Mickey is called to investigate the scene of a crime where a prostitute, a prostitute has been killed and she is just petrified that it's her sister. And it becomes it's she gets there. She realizes it is not her sister, but it becomes clear that this murder is just one in a string of similar crimes. And. Mickey's investigating them while also trying to figure out where her sister has gone, if it's possible that her sister has been killed by this this person, uh, but just ha- her body hasn't been found yet. And she's praying and praying that she's not going to be one of the victims, but she just doesn't know. Um, and so it's, it's a very melancholy kind of story, but very compelling and extremely captivating is the only thing, word I can think of to describe it. Like I just, as soon as I got, as soon as I got into this book, it was like I could not pull myself away from it. And it's very atmospheric. And like I said, this this sense of tension just runs throughout the entire thing. Um, and you really get into Mickey's head and and understand sort of where she's coming from and their flashbacks to when Casey and Mickey were children. So you see why they were so close at the time and some things that happened to them when they were children that formed them into who they are today. Um, And it's just, I thought, really well written. And that is Long Bright River by Liz Moore. I don't know anything about that book. That sounds very cool. uh, Liz Moore is like secret favorite author of mine, I've realized. I have genuinely loved everything I've read by her. I've not read everything she's written, but everything I've read, I have, it's always comes almost as a surprise to me, which now it won't because I'm publicly saying she's sort of a secret favorite author of mine. (laughs) But like, I'm always just, I always sort of forget that I've loved previous books of hers, but the book that I pick up, I think, well, this sounds interesting. And then I just get completely sucked in. Like there's just something about her writing that I find very mesmerizing. And I really, really enjoy her books, even when they're about more difficult subjects. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, okay, next is Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. And I think I'm, I think this didn't come out this year. I think it was last year, right? Yeah. 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 So I'm once again late to it. But it's just so much fun. So, um, and I think uh, this is my romance of, of this list yeah. where it really stood out to me. And I think this is another that's, that's just 
universally beloved, basically. Um, it's about a young man named Alex Claremont Diaz, who is the son of the U.S. president, Ellen Claremont. And he teams up with his sister and the vice president's granddaughter to be the young face of the presidency. So he's he kind of has a good thing going for him, but he's photographed in a spat with the English prince Henry at a royal wedding. And they've never liked each other, but it's not really for any real reason other than they're always sort of viewed as comparable entities just mm-hmm. because they're both the the son of the the person in power of their countries (laughs) so after the photographs come out of their fight he has to do damage control um, both for international relations and also because the president has a re-election campaign coming up and she's um really upset with how he's shamed her so Mm -hmm. this um they have a, a story of a best friendship that's created and has to be believed so uh, so it can be photographed. So they have to spend all this time together and convince the world that they're buddies. But as they ha- hang out together, they start to, de- to, to develop more than a friendship, um, even more than a fake friendship. <laughs> so I loved that this has behind the scenes looks at both American politics and the British royal family, which are things I just can't get enough of. Um, so you really are getting the best of both worlds in one book and the relationship is just so adorable and the characters are really funny and it's a really compelling story in multiple ways and it's not silly it's it's very lighthearted and really fun to read but it's you really believe this relationship and the problems that obviously would come from um such high status people trying to have a relationship together so it's basically everything I wanted in a romantic comedy. And every time I read romantic comedies and I feel a little mad about them, this is this is what I want from them. So um, so I just, I, I couldn't put it down. And that is Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. That's such a good one. She has a new book coming out in the spring. I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. My next one is Codename Helen by Ariel Lahan. And... This is a World War II historical fiction novel. And if you read historical fiction or just even pay attention to historical fiction, you know there are about 9 million books about World War II. And (laughs) at this point, I really didn't think that there could be one that felt like it was telling a new story. But this one was just so, so good. It was... And it was fun because so this committee that I'm on, I, I suggested that other people read it. And literally everybody's reaction was the exact same thing, which was like, oh, I didn't want to like another World War II book, but this is so good, which was very gratifying to me. So it's about a real life spy named Nancy Wake, who is a socialite and a journalist who uh, she witnesses a horrific crime in her duties as a journalist by Nazis and so decides to do her part in the war effort by becoming a spy. And she's just a total badass. Like, she is just <laughs> awesome. And But she's also – so this is part of why she's so amazing and so fun to read about because she's also very proper. She's been raised to be a socialite. So she's very um, – this dichotomy of this this spy persona that she has, but she can get by with because everybody thinks she's sort of this non-threat person. She wears this bright red lipstick and is like known for that. And I don't know. She's just wonderful. She has this dog that she adores, and there's this handsome, wonderful man who loves her. Um, and then she goes off and does these like amazing spy things. Um, and part of the reason I think it is 
so good and such a such a special I've said special like 15,000 times in this episode but um <laughs> part of every why, episode with yeah, every, but, all of my vocabulary um, part of why <laughs> even if you've read every other World War II book I still think you should read this one is because since it's based on a true story things happen that are unexpected but it's based on a true story so it they're the characters there are characters that die that you wouldn't expect like if uh, uh, sort of like what we were talking about the thriller you kind of know the beats of the story so with world right. war ii you kind of know the beats of what a world war ii novel is like and this novel doesn't hit those beats necessarily um you have characters that double cross each other and you have characters that don't make it all the way to the end and so there's a lot of drama to it but not in a melodramatic way that some um books that kind of like tug at your heart's heartstrings have that melodrama uh it's just in a very i can't put this book down kind of dramatic way so that is codename helen by ariel lahan i met her at a conference you recently. did yes yeah yeah and she said she loved my name and she wanted to put it in a book mm. so watch her watch space let's <laughs> see <laughs> i will well she was another one i like i said about Layla lalami I immediately went and thought, what other Ariel Lahan books can I read? Because I really, yeah. really enjoyed it a lot. I think I read her first one, the the mister, the wife, the, the mistress, and the, the maid. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was really fun. I, yeah. I, it kind of took me by surprise, and I, I discounted it a bit at the beginning, and then it, it concluded in a really interesting way. So mm. I need to go back and, and read the rest of her books. All right. Uh, two okay. More. Two more. Um, next is the Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. And uh, again, one that I'm late to. <laughs> um, so this is a take on The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. So there's lots of, of similar pop, plot points. And the main character is named Rowan Kane. And she answers an ad for a live-in, in, a live-in nanny at an incredible salary and a chance to live in a smart home in the Scottish Highlands with the uh, just picture-perfect, beautiful family. But she find, you find out from the very beginning that someone is dead and that she's in prison for their murder but you don't know how this all happened and the book is written as a letter to her lawyer expe- uh, explaining her innocence and, and her side of the story so um as the case always is in these books the situation is too good to be true the girls aren't as perfect as they seemed and the parents are almost always gone and the house is very disarming because it's it's aware of rowan's presence and um just very unsettling in ways that uh, are the similar similar uh, tropes to gothic horror, but in a modern way because it's it's a smart home. So you're you getting kind of the opposite of a, of a gothic mm-hmm. manner, and um, she can hear these footsteps every night above her room. So it's super spooky, and there are lots of twists. But what made this a favorite for me is that there's a heartbreaking reveal in the last couple of pages that that makes you completely reevaluate everything that you've read. And that that's sort of the, the standard for psychological suspense, because um, the idea is to give you a surprise at the end that makes you rethink everything. Mm-hmm. But this was just differently executed than... Um, than what I've seen before and and a different reveal than what I've seen before and it really has has stayed with me and um I've liked her other books I I wouldn't say I loved them but Mm -hmm. this one really really stood out to me so um it definitely was elevated um by those last few pages so that is the turn of the key by Ruth Ware I feel like this is the first time I've read 
I think every single one of the books that you're talking about. This is amazing. <laughs> I like Not, Ruth It Ware. won't be by the end. I, I know, promise. I know. Uh, <laughs> I like the, uh, I like her books. I think they're good. Um, they're reliable thrillers. Yeah, like they're, for sure. You know what you're getting. They're always based on some sort or inspired by some sort of classic. Yeah. And she does a good job with it. Yeah, she does a good job with them. Yeah. All right. So my next one is The House in the Cerulean Sea by (sighs) T.J. Clune. I've already talked about this book. I knew as soon as I finished it, it was going to be a favorite book of the year. It's about this guy who's a middle manager kind of guy who goes around and evaluates orphanages where magical children live. And he determines if the orphanage is abiding by the rules and guidelines set by the government. And he's very clear cut and lives by the rules and never thinks twice about what happens to the kids once he submits his reports. And then one day he is sent to this remote island where there's a group of these magical beings who are all misfits, basically. And his experience there causes him to start questioning everything he thought uh, he knew about uh, the place where he worked and the world that he lived in. And... um, he isn't quite so sure that the people that he worked for have the children's best interest in mind. And it is such a heartwarming, touching, funny, whimsical, kind of wacky story. It, because of the magical elements, it's considered a fantasy. But if you like books like A Man Called Uva or Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine, I think you will adore this book. It is, to me, it was just perfect. It was just what I needed in 2020 at the time that I read it. Um, it was so sweet. It brought, it made me cry. Second book on the list, it made me cry. <laughs> Actually, I think Code Name made me cry too. My gosh, there are a lot of books on here that made me cry. And maybe I was just very weepy in 2020. Um, yeah. But it's just fabulous. It is The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune. So shockingly, this would have been in my top 10 as well if you hadn't already I'm sorry. listed Called it. it <laughs> which... If you think of all the ways you describe this book, yeah, that it was is not, not your thing. my I thing. Know. And so it was such a shock to me. But I love the atmosphere. I love it. It reminded me a lot of um, uh, the bookish life of Nina Hill yep. in, in yep. certain ways. And so, um, so I really liked that kind of. There's a quaintness to it. Mm-hmm. But as I texted to you, the antichrist character lucy may be my soulmate (laughs) which i have very mixed feelings about saying the antichrist is my soulmate as a religious person but he he was the greatest i I loved him so much so there's yeah somebody i was talking to and i feel like it's a stranger that i only know on the internet that i was talking to about this book and they were like well who was your favorite of the you know the characters at, yeah. at the house, and and I think finds the guy who wants to be a bellman when he grows yeah, up, yeah. Bellhop when he grows up. I think that was, but then like I, I don't know. There are just so many great characters in that book, and it's so good. Yeah. It's so the, good. The part that got me was when, I mean, he's just me where he wants to be so dark. Yeah. He, but then he's he like a wa- six-year-old kid. But he's a kid, yeah. And so he's saying all these really, really terrible threats but then he gets up into his booster seat for dinner (laughs) it made me laugh so hard (laughs) oh it was a great book so good all right Anne. drum roll my last one final one my last one is war and peace by leo tolstoy (laughs) with a caveat (laughs) because i'm not finished officially (laughs) but i I will finish by the end of the year. I am so close to being done. 
but I also am very torn because can I lose this long-standing, well-read joke about how I will never finish this book that I've been reading for five years? Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll just have to, you know, like Moby Dick or something will be your next one and we can just... Yeah, oh gosh, I don't want to read that. Through. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see about that. So, <laughs> so I've, I've talked about it before, but very briefly, um, everything is rotating in the story around three main characters. So you have Pierre, who is the illegitimate son of a wealthy count, and he's very awkward, but he has suddenly become St. Petersburg's most eligible bachelor after he inherits his father's fortune. And then Andre is an officer in the Russian army, and he's cynical and discontented by life. And Natasha is a vivacious and romantic young woman who's growing up in Moscow under the threat of the Napoleonic Wars. And the entire story is their relationships to each other and to the many other major and minor characters that are in the book that um, it takes place between 1805 and 1813. And it's just astounding. Like it's, there's no other way to describe this book other than it is a masterpiece. And Tolstoy is an incredible writer and you, you feel like you completely understand this world and that it's, it's, these are real people that you understand their motivations and their, their hopes and dreams, even though they're 200 years old and um, it feels true to life without ever making the reader aware of the author pulling the strings. So it's obviously a massive book. The scope of it is massive and it's incredibly readable, which is an amazing feat to be able to to pull that that off. Um, And it's truly only because I constantly have other reading responsibilities that come up that it has taken me so long to finish. Um, It's not a, a knock on the book in any way. It's not slow moving. It's just that I over extend myself all the time so fingers crossed i don't bring this up again (laughs) that is war and peace by leo tolstoy (laughs) i will be so proud of you when you finish that book (laughs) all right so my number one book is the vanishing half by Britt bennett and i've already talked about this book in two different episodes i talked about it in a book preview like a spring summer a preview episode, I believe. And then again, after I had read it, I talked about it. So I'm just going to assume that most people have heard me talk about it, at least in one of those episodes. <laughs> uh, it's about a set of twins, sisters, who uh, go their separate ways as teenagers. And one ends up back in her very small hometown after being in an abusive relationship. And one who goes off, and, and they're, they're both black, and one who starts passing as white and she ends up marrying somebody who has no idea of her background and so the book tracks them as their lives diverge and come back together and they both have daughters and the story talks about how their daughters lives intersect and it's all about family and sisters and identity and race and prejudice and it just has these really rich complicated imperfect characters I loved every second of reading it it is uh, my favorite book of the year and that is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett that is awesome it's a great conclusion pardon that's a great conclusion yay Uh, okay so we will be right back with what we're reading this week Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? This week I'm reading White Elef- Elephant by Trish Harnito, I think is how I pronounce it. I 
looked it up last time I talked about it and didn't this time. So <laughs> we're just going to go with that. But I talked about this in a preview episode. So um, it's about an Aspen, Colorado architecture and real estate firm that is owned by Henry and Claudine Calhoun. And every year they hold an annual Christmas party that has this sort of central event of the White Elephant Gift Exchange. Um And the goal in their office is to bring the best gift and the one that's the most expensive and that will be stolen the most times. So there's many different schools of thought with white elephant um, gift giving and in theirs, it's just status. So the staff already is competing with each other to gain commissions. And so the gifts that they bring are meant to convey prestige and success from the year's sales. And it's sort of this way of showing off what you accomplished in this, this past year. And it was instigated by, by Claudine really to be used as a control mechanism over her, her employees. And she wants to create tension among them and they all hate it. And Henry hates it as well. So this year, this year's uh, party is especially important because a pop superstar named Zara is um, looking at a Calhoun designed house in Aspen through the company. And Claudine invites her to the the Christmas party to sort of seal the deal. So Henry is really anxious about the sale. And he's uh, not anxious that it will go through because um, that isn't really his thing. But he's anxious because the party is going to be held at this, this house that um, the czar is thinking of buying. And there's something that happened there that makes him terrified to go back. So when they actually have the exchange, everyone is surprised that one of the gifts is this ugly cowboy statue because um, it's so out of character for the type of gift that's expected. But for Henry and Claudine, the surprise is because they know that Henry used the statue to commit murder years ago and Claudine helped to cover it up. So there's that tension, but then also a snowstorm is trapping everyone at the office. And so not only can no one leave, but the police can't come to stop whatever is going to happen. And it's something bad that's going to happen. So I just started this, but it's really fast reading and it's sort of perfect for the kind of attention span I have at this time of year where um, there's just a lot of things to uh, take care of and and lots of movies to watch and lots of things to prepare for. But it still is Christmassy, so I still feel sort of in the spirit, but sort of a different take than the Hallmark uh, movie watching that I do while I um, accomplish everything else. And another thing that I thought was fun sort of thrown into this book is that there's a lot of true crime references. So if you're a fan of that kind of thing, then this has sort of lots of side commentary on that, um, including one that made me laugh because Zara had a relationship fail because they had differing theories on the Jean Benet Ramsey case. And that that made me laugh really hard. So um, so I'm enjoying it. And that is White Elephant by Trish Harnito. Yeah, you talked about this in a preview episode, right? Is right. I think last year. Okay. It must. I think it was last. It, it would have been last year. So yeah. yeah. So it's been a while. But yeah. But it, um, you were talking about the the white elephant. I was like, ah, this is all sounding awfully familiar. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So what I'm reading this week, and I'm actually almost done with it. I was almost done right before we started recording. I have like 20 pages left. But it is oh, no. uh, the Human Sun by Adrian J. Walker, and it's a science fiction book based on the idea that humans have ruined the Earth with climate change, and so the best solution is to remove all humans from Earth and start over. So the way that this happens in the story is that they uh, release a virus, I think. Somehow they make all humans uh, sterile so they can't reproduce. And then when the last one just naturally dies out, there are these humanoid robot type beings that start rebuilding the Earth's natural world. 
and the ERTA, I'm E-R-T-A, so I'm saying ERTA, are what the these humanoid robot beings are called. They've taken the certain parts of humans um, and then combined them with robots, but then they've purposely left certain elements of humans out of it. So they're very logical and unflappable they're not emotional so they've left they've excluded the things that would cause people to uh fight in a war say because they're upset about something um so this all happened so when the story starts this all happened 500 years ago that the last human died out and so now they're 500 years in the future and the urda have gotten the earth's climate back to a good place and basically the world is ready for humans to inhabit it again but the earth are sort of debating whether or not that's a good idea because they think that potentially the humans could just destroy it again so as a test case they decide to raise a human child to see if humans can be introduced reintroduced into the world Ima is the the Erda who volunteers kind of gets told that she's going to be the one to raise this child and she is just completely out of her depth with it she is not a particularly nurturing person in any way so at first when she brings this baby home she looks at it and thinks why is a small tiny human crying and flailing it doesn't <laughs> occur to her to pick up the baby and rock the baby uh, but she soon starts figuring things out and uh, she there's a other person who offers his help and then her sister kind of helps her a little bit and she gets on her feet and and figures out how to do things but um it's it's part of the entertainment of this book is watching her become sleep deprived and emotional <laughs> because she is sleep deprived because of having a baby um and she as she starts figuring things out though she becomes quite enraptured of uh reed is his name is what she names the child uh, because he has all these questions and this curiosity about the world that make her think that maybe humans aren't quite so bad as, as she's been led to believe um and this is the kind of science fiction i personally like because it has science fiction elements obviously, but it grounds it in a reality that I know and understand. And it's about uh, human nature, which I like to read about. And it's, it's it has that humor of seeing her grappling with this new parenthood. And then it follows them for until Reed is a teenager. So it, it's you see it all the different phases, um, how she reacts and responds, and then how she grows to love this child and how that impacts the way she views the work that she was doing um, prior to, because she's been there for the 500 years. So she had one thought in her mind about the way things were. And then as he grows, she she has a different idea. Um, so as I said, I'm not quite done yet. I'm so close to being done, but I, uh, it's been an, it's an interesting story. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm reading it, and I'm curious to see how it ends. That is The Human Son by Adrian J. Walker. That does sound like a shockingly you sci-fi <laughs> novel. It? Yeah. Okay, and this is a long episode. Our favorites always are. But why don't we go back and list off everything we mentioned in, uh, in our favorites? Okay. Um, my list is Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, Ninth House by Lee Bardugo, Circe by Madeline Miller, a Deadly Inside Scoop by Abby Collette, Unmarriageable by Sonia Kamal, Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth, How the Light Gets In by Louise Penny, Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, 
The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware and War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. And what I'm reading this week is White Elephant by Trish Harnito. All right. And my list starts with Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. A Good Marriage by Kimberly McCrate. The Other Americans by Layla Lalami. The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Long Bright River by Liz Moore. Codename Helen by Ariel Lahan. The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And what I'm reading this week is Human Son, or The Human Son, excuse me, by Adrian J. Walker. We did it. Yay. Uh, so if you stuck with us through an hour and a half of this episode, <laughs> uh, please reach out to us and tell us what some of your favorite books of the year were. We're always interested in knowing what people are reading and loving. Uh, you can also just give us feedback on the show or suggest a topic you'd like us to see us cover in 2021 uh, you can reach us at e- on our email at wellreadpod at gmail.com find us on our facebook page or twitter or instagram at wellreadpodcast and i apologize a couple of people had messaged us on instagram and i you have to accept new messages or something like that if it's a contact oh, you yeah. have it i don't know so so there were two people that sat there for several weeks before i saw their messages so i'm very very i apologize for that i'm very sorry about that um Please uh, rate and review us on however you, however you get your podcast. If there's a possibility to rate us, that would be amazing because it helps other people find our show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Fair. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talk about in every episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading. Happy holidays. Uh, Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Uh, and, and happy reading year. Yeah, we'll be back again. We'll be back again in a couple weeks. (laughs)